So we're looking at the topic of peace this morning, and I have been thinking about that in a number of ways through the week. Uh, one of those ways is I, I just simply looked at uh, definitions and, and wanted to look at also some synonyms, uh, thinking through what, what does peace really mean? And I want to give you some, some terms here. That, they're just synonyms. Um, appeasement, reconciliation, I think that's a great word when we think about peace. Uh, treaty, harmony, concord. There is a, 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 I like this word, especially if you are a, a creative and involved in music at all, the idea of symphony. Uh, because when you think about a symphony, all the instruments coming together, if you've been to a symphony early and listened to what they do beforehand, right, they tune, and it is anything but harmonious. It is just awful. And, and then when they come together and the, the conductor brings them together in that symphony, there's a peace to the music. Um, I think another great synonym is, is the word rapport. Uh, to, to get along with, have a rapport with one another. Uh, the word amiability or friendliness, uh, the idea of peace that we would have goodwill towards one another. Um, I, I'm all of a sudden struck with uh, memories of me and my two younger brothers and the lack of goodwill that we had in moments. Is anybody else guilty of that with your siblings? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being honest this morning, Jace. Your parents are in front of you. They didn't see your hand raised, but I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that, okay? So, Jace, like you and me can work on that, right, with our siblings, okay? In um, the sense of with peace is brotherhood, fellowship. I think that's why when the church is working together well, what ought to be happening amongst the people of God? There ought to be a fellowship, right, because there's peace with one another, because the, the discord that normally occurs in relationships is overcome because of the peace of Christ. Uh, there's order. There's tranquility. Uh, there's calm. There's a placid. There's a stillness and quiet. Now, when I was looking at some of those synonyms for the word peace, I started thinking about uh, what would be the opposite, anonyms, some of the things that might uh, represent concepts other than peace. So here's some of the words there. Disharmony. Now, and before I go further, I want to, to kind of say this about our culture and context. Think about how many of these describe where we are in our world today. So, disharmony, chaos, conflict, dissonance, clash, controversy, quarrel, dissension, feud, bicker, combat enmity, struggle, or strife, and anxiety. Do you quickly identify the contrast and see how many more, I think, describe the world that we live in and, and the, the situation of, of our culture? And, and it, what it does is it says to me is there's a demand upon us as followers of Christ to be different because of the peace of Christ that ought to rule our hearts and our minds so that we represent him differently. 
uh, and re- represent his kingdom differently. Last week, you may remember that I taught on Romans 15, 13, and I would encourage you, especially if, you ta- if you're taking notes, just to write that passage down again. Romans 15, 13 is, is that passage where Paul describes the idea of joy and peace that are rooted in our faith in Christ. And I don't want to, to reteach that message, but I, I want to emphasize this one point really quickly, is that apart from us being in Christ, we cannot really understand and, and comprehend and possess peace, biblical peace. We can try to manufacture it in a lot of other ways, but apart from Christ, it will not be the best kind of peace that is afforded to us. I was doing some research, and in this, I came across a, a great statement by Spurgeon. And I, I want to emphasize, as we think through peace, the topic for this morning, and we relate that to our, our, um, the person of Christ and His coming this Advent season, I would hope that what we recognize is that the idea that peace cannot be ours unless we trust in God. It, it, it only comes through that trusting relationship, which goes back to Romans 15, 13. So let me read this statement by Charles Spurgeon. He says, nothing is so convincing to ungodly men. So, so think about that just for a second. What he's saying is we're looking at our ministry and, and our representation to lost people. To, there's nothing so convincing to ungodly men as to see Christians very calm in time of danger, very resigned in the hour of affliction, very patient under provocation, and taking things all together as Christian men should take them as from the hand of God. So, so let me interpret that quote for, for just a moment. He's saying no matter what we face as believers, whether it be hardship, danger, affliction, provocation, all of these things we ought to respond in such a way as we see them as a result of the hand of God. And therefore, because we trust God, we can possess what? Peace. <laughs> because we know that God is sovereign, that He is in control, that we are His children. And if I quickly move to Romans eight twenty eight uh, and following what? That we know all things work together for good to those who love God, God and are called according to His purpose. So we can trust Him. So, so peace is really an outworking of that relationship that we have with the Lord where His fruit is being produced in us because of, of our faith in Him. So let's, let's get into our text now this morning. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. And this is not where I would have expected to be uh, in this Advent season, in this message, but I think it's a great place for us to be uh, about the topic of peace. So Isaiah 26. Now, if you, if you remember, Isaiah's prophet, and he's, he ministered for some, oh gosh, I want to say 50 plus years, I, I can't remember exactly, um, but, but he was watching a whole lot of uh, difficult things happen in the nation of Israel. And one of the things that, that specifically was happening was the Assyrians were uh, flexing and, and um, having a lot of influence upon the Israelites during the season. There was a lot of conflict, and, and the Israelites were being taken captive, and there was a lot of shifting of power going on. Um, but the Assyrians and the Babylonians were at the, the forefront uh, of that conflict with Israel. 
Now, what is what happening is or is happening here in Isaiah 26 is actually a prophecy that Isaiah gets a hold of in this vision about the future kingdom. And, and this is, I think, twofold. One for the people of Israel in that moment, but two, it's more importantly about the future of Christ's kingdom. That Isaiah is prophesying not just for the people then, but for people in our day and age. And so I want you to, to kind of put on your uh, creative I- imagery hats for just a moment. Imagine as Isaiah is, is prophesying and making the statement that the people of Israel are, are actually being freed up from their captivity and um, the oppression they, they've been under, and they're actually moving back into their cities. Now, the, the problem is for them, though, this is so recent it's, it's as, if, as if there is a, still this sense of war that's looming over them. So you can imagine them walking back into their cities, and they're walking past places of destruction. And though they're longing for something better, and they're moving to something better, it's still in this context of life that's been disrupted because of, of the, the battle and the conflicts and the chaos of war. So, so does that make sense? So, so you can almost imagine the smoke wafting across land and and uh, destruction being present as they walk back into the cities. Okay, so let's, let's, um, oh, before I go further to you, I want to give you this. As we look at this, this is the the construct of of this passage in chapter 26 is so unique. Um, It's not just as if Isaiah is prophesying and it's his one voice narrating, okay, what, and we don't have time to research all of this this morning or, or for me to unpack it. But here's the concept. In verse 1, there's this narrator. He, he kind of gives the context of what's about to, to unfold. And then verses 2 through 4 that we're going to focus on this morning are a chorus. So it's as if the people have come back together and they're, they're singing this chorus. Then as you go through uh, the, the passage, there's people that would actually echo. There's three echoes that occur. So someone would say one thing, and then there's an echo, and then there's another echo of those truths. Then the narrator might speak. Then there's a chorus again. There's a one point, a verse where the Lord speaks. It's just really this interesting construct that, that I think brings a little bit different life when we understand that. So, so this morning, I want you to understand, especially as we read verses 1 through 4, that we have this narrator giving that context, and then this course, this bursting forth of the course. So let's read Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 4. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I uh, read this, and that obviously that verse 3 caught my attention as I was looking through Scripture about perfect peace. And I don't know about you, but that verse right there, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, that is a great promise for me to latch on to, to meditate on, and, and to fulfill in, in obedience to the Lord as well. 
as we think about this idea of perfect peace and our minds staying on Christ, I want to give you some of these things that, about this passage that I think are so important and vital for us to understand that we might know the, the promises of God and fully trust in Him because He is the promise keeper. So first of all, I want to talk about the, the idea of this city. If you notice in um, verse 1, it says, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Here's the interesting thing about this city. This city is constructed by whom? It's not constructed by the inhabitants. The city is actually constructed by the Lord. He's the one who sets it up with the walls of salvation and the, the, these strong bulwarks, okay, and we're going to look at that concept a little bit more. But I want you to think through this, this idea of, of what this city would be like. Because a strong city as opposed to a weak city is very different. We're, we've we've contracted, uh, contrasted peace with other things. Well, what's, what's the point of the strong city? I want you to think about this with me. A, a strong city would mean that the inhabitants feel what? Shout some ideas back to me. Security, safety, good. What else? Say it again. Peace, is that what you said? Yeah, there would be peace, okay? Comfort, good. Think about the practical side of this. If there's a strong city, what is the economy like? It's strong, Right? Because with security, people in, engage with one another rightly. What, what would define a weak city? There'd be no peace. There'd be a sense of what? Insecurity. There'd probably be a desire for self-protection, which means what? You distrust the other citizens. You're always on guard. What, what is a weak city's economy going to look like? At, at best, poor, right? It's probably poverty-stricken. People are not willing to uh, engage in economic process together because what are they going to be doing? They're going to be holding their resources for their own benefit. But a strong city, on the other hand, means, I think, because of economic security and, and flourishing, that people are going to be what? Generous, will, willing to invest in one another. So you, you begin to see that this, this little concept here in Isaiah, it's not just this little fleeting thing about the strong, the, the walls of salvation and bulwarks. It's a much greater principle. Now, now think about this in terms of the history of the Israelites. They've been scattered out of Israel, out, out of Judah and, and Jerusalem, and, and they've been fearful for their lives. Yet the Lord has proven himself victorious, and he's bringing them back to a strong city. Do you think that their mind is changed about the fulfillment of prophecy and the things that they've been awaiting for this promise of a new city? And they're experiencing that as they're coming back in. What would they long to do? What would be their first response? I think to sing this song as a chorus together and sing of their trust of the Lord. Simple, isn't it? Now, let me um, give you a, a couple more things here. Uh, so first, let's, let's look at this in verse 2. Um, it says, 
open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Who is going to be able to enter into this, this city? It, it actually says the, the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter. It's not just that everyone would be able to enter. It's a specific people. Now, how does their righteousness come? We know from Israel's history it's not from their own works. Their, their merit is not enough to, to keep them in this state of, of being righteous. Correct? So how will they themselves become righteous? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because they've been a mess. That's why they've been scattered. That's why they've been exiled to these other lands. So look over in Isaiah chapter 60 for just a moment. It's interesting, because, and we're going to look at verse 18. I, and it's interesting the, the way these verses tie together because the, the, the concepts of the walls and the, the gates are, are here echoed in Isaiah 60, but also the word salvation, the, the, the Hebrew word Yeshua, is echoed in both of these places in terms of the walls. So, so follow me for just a moment, Isaiah 60, verse 18. It says, Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls what? Salvation. And your gates, praise. So, so think about this for just a minute in terms of the gates that shall be called, called praise. And going back to Isaiah 26 verse 2, that these gates that are responsible for keeping people in or out based upon their right or privilege of entering in, the gates shall be called what later? Praise. What, what does that praise indicate? That they have a right relationship with God. That, that they're, they know His salvation and they've been changed and transformed and their response to the walls being salvation are such that they've entered into a relationship of praise and acknowledging this one who will bring salvation. I'm not saying that the, the walls themselves are representative of Christ or anything like that. What I'm saying is that these people understand salvation is of the Lord. He is the one who is the creator of salvation, the provider of salvation, that his promises are faithful and true and sure, and he is the one who can be trusted. Because think about this for just a second. A strong city has what kind of gates? Gates that would operate right properly, that, that they would close well, that, that they would have guards at the gates that would know how those things operate appropriately, and they would keep people out at the right times and, keep, and, and allow people in at the right times, and the, and the right people in the right ways, and the wrong people would be held at bay outside. The enemies would not be able to infiltrate the gates. The people inside the strong city would feel secure. They would feel safe because of not just the walls, but the gates that allow them to communicate with those around them. So when those people come in, those inhabitants that are righteous come in, it's not by their own righteousness, it's by the righteousness of Christ, and they're praising the Lord for his salvation. What an incredible picture. So what is this prophecy actually about? It's actually about the future kingdom of Christ. It's an amazing picture about the promises that we have that this kind of kingdom will be ours. Now, look at verse 3 now. And, and I, I want to make sure that we get, get this point. You, it says, You keep him 
in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because what? He trusts in you. So, so how do salvation and trust align? How do they align? Salvation is, is present, but it means that we must respond how? In faith in Christ, right? If we don't respond in faith, we won't understand and, and experience that salvation. Isn't that what we learned in Romans 15, 13 last week? Or 13, 15, whichever one it was. 15, 13, right? So that's, that's a consistent message that faith and trust in Christ are essential. So how then will we find perfect peace? We have to begin to trust in Christ. So I want us to do something now. We're going to take a break and come back and pick up in the message in just a second. But children, you know what time it is? It's time for you guys to come down here. Miss Amy, are you teaching this morning? All right. Miss Amy's going to come down here in the front. You guys find your spots on the cushions or the carpets up here. You're doing so good at this every week. We are so thankful for how you're doing this. And you listen carefully to Miss Amy and Miss Maya. She comes and leads music. Is that right? Good morning, guys. How are you all today? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Is everybody ready? <laughs> Love it when you answer. All right. We're going to start out with the word association game. And if you don't know what that is, what I'll do is I'll say a word, and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. So if somebody were to say to me, peanut butter, I would think jelly. <laughs> Understand what I mean? <laughs> All right, let's start out. <laughs> if I say cold, thank you, hot, very good. What if I said the word book? Cook, you rhymed it. What else might you say? What do you do? Read, that's a good one. Well, how about the sky? By <laughs> blue, that's a good one. The ground, that's clouds. You all are getting good at this. Okay. How about zoo? Animals, yeah. We like the zoo, don't we? All right, the last one. Joy. Joyful? What did God. All right. Thank you. So when I was going to say how many of us said Jesus when I said the word joy. I did hear God, but I didn't hear a lot about Jesus. But today we're going to hear about how only Jesus can fill our hearts with joy. And joy isn't just being happy about something, like getting a new toy or going on a trip, just having fun with our friends. Joy is true happiness that's in our hearts, and only Jesus can give that to us, and it lasts forever. So as we get started, I want us to pray, and as we do, our hands we fold, our heads we bow as we talk to God just now. God, I thank you so much for your written word that you've given us in your Bible. I just pray for our story today that we will each take your word to our hearts, and that you will show us how much you love us through your words. Amen. 
Right, our story today comes from God's true word, the Holy Bible. And we're going to talk about Luke 2. Now, last week, you heard how baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And on that night that he was born, he put a beautiful star in the sky. And you can see from the decorations here, there is a star over the manger. And that was to show where baby Jesus was born. And God was going to send a choir of angels to announce the birth of Jesus and to tell the good news to all the people. But who did the angels visit and sing to? Did they come to a big king, a very important, powerful king? Did they go to the palace? No, they didn't. That's right. God sent the angels to a raggedy old smelly bunch of shepherds because they were smelly because they'd been out in the fields all night with their sheep, and that's where they stayed. And back in those days, people didn't think a lot of shepherds. They thought they were nobodies, that they really weren't worth anything. But the shepherds were special to God, and just like we are special to God, while the shepherds were out in the fields that night and they were sleeping with their sheep taking care of them and suddenly there was a bright light and it was a shiny angel in the dark sky. Well, can you imagine how scary that was to all of a sudden see something really bright and shiny? And the shepherds were afraid, but the angel said, do not be afraid. I am not going to hurt you. I've come to give you great news, good tidings, happy things are happening. Today in Bethlehem, God's son has been born, and you can go see him. He is sleeping in a manger. Kind of see how we've got it over here? Behind the angel, the shepherds saw a glowing cloud. But when they looked at it, it wasn't a cloud at all. It was so many angels. It looked like an army of light, and the angels were all singing a beautiful song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men. And then the angels left, and they went back to heaven. And it was dark again. And as soon as they left, the shepherds went running to find Jesus. They went to Bethlehem to find the Son of God. After they found Jesus, the shepherds hurried to tell everyone else about this wonderful news that had come, that God's Son had come to earth. It was the awaited Messiah, and he had been born right there in Bethlehem. Shepherds glorified, and they praised God for all they had heard about God's Son. And you know we have that very same good news today. Jesus, our great joy, has come to earth to save us from our sins. And the good news is for everyone, all people, everywhere. And when we believe in Jesus, he fills our hearts with joy that lasts forever. And like the shepherds, we should go share the good news about Jesus and our joy with others. Oh my goodness, y'all had fantastic listening years. But we're going to have tests to see how good they were. Are you ready? Let's have a few questions. Who visited the shepherds to tell the good news? The angels. The angels, you all did have good ears listening today. Here's a hard one. What was the good news? Exactly. You all even get the details. I'm very proud of you all. All right, here's one a little bit harder. 
Who is this good news for? Came to the shepherds. Everyone. Yes, all people everywhere. All right, last one. Who is the only person who can fill our hearts with joy? Jesus. That's exactly right. We have a scripture verse today, and it is Luke 2.10. And Miss Olivia, I'm so glad you're here today. <laughs> Olivia is usually my helpers when, helper when we're meeting in person. And sometimes when we say our verse, we echo. And so if you'll help me demonstrate. All right, we're kind of going to sing it to echo. Listen to me and Miss Olivia, and then we'll do it together. The angel said to them, All right, you all got it. Let's go. Angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will be for all people. Luke 2.10. All right, let's try it one more time. And that will help you remember it. And then you can sing this through the day. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will be for all people. Luke 2.10. You all did great. I am going to pray, and then Miss Maya is going to come have our music. All right? Let's pray one more time. God, I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to save us and to give us joy. I just thank you for your word and how much you love us. Amen. Amen. And just like the angels, we are going to sing. And I will have two helpers today. This is Claire and AJ. Come on. I don't want to be. That's right. Let's get everybody. Is it Christmas yet? Tell me yes or no. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid not yet. We just have to wait a little longer because this gift is been, has been here for a long time. And we are patiently waiting and waiting and waiting for Christmas to come so we can open this gift. But not today. So, But today, we can rehearse. We can play the drums. And next week is when we will be allowed to open this gift. Until then, we want to practice, so when it is actually Christmas and we celebrate it, we are ready with our drums dance. All right, let's review a little bit the steps, ladies and everyone. We play the drums like this. Play, 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 good. Remember, what's the next step? We have the drums right in front of us and we hit them with both hands like this. Oh, wonderful, you got it. And then we have the drums all around here. We are not missing a single one. And we go like that. Bam, 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 bam. Hit the drums all around like this. Remember the ones on the side right here? We're not missing them either. We go one, two, three, four. And then one, two, three, four. And it doesn't matter if we go to the right or to the left because we have drums on both sides. You have to imagine. And our legs want to do some dancing as well. So we allow them to move around like this. And we go and we stomp. Now, oh, there you go. And now we want to lift our arms up. Wonderful. And one of our moves is to bow to our newborn King Jesus. And this is when we tap, we hit the floor twice. One, two. And then we get halfway and we go one, two. 
and then we stretch way up in the sky. One, two, three, four. And ladies and everyone, we are ready for our joyful song. today. You are wonderful. That doesn't mean that, that I want to live in that. I know that you don't want to live in those kind of things. So how do we combat that? Because here what Paul is saying is don't be anxious. So, so how do we discover the ability to overcome anxieties, to overcome the, the chaos uh, of this season that, that we're in, where the, the city that we live in is in disarray. It's by going to Christ. And let's look at this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your quest be made known to God. So, so Paul's remedy is what? Prayer. That, that when we enter into these kind of seasons that we're in, 
that, that we would go, we're people of prayer. Can, can I encourage you with a very simple thought? When we connect Isaiah 26 and the, the, the importance of trusting in God, the Lord God, the true and living God, who is full of positive characteristics and qualities, whose nature is perfect. Prayer is a prayerful dependence, truly going to Him and recognizing who He is. And we can't, in prayer, do anything but continue to meditate on God. Does that make sense? I think the struggle, though, is a lot of times, what do we do in prayer? We take our list, right? It's like we look at God as the great Santa Claus and we unroll our Christmas list before Him. And that's not what prayer really is, is it? Prayer is engaging rightly with Him for who He is and trusting Him. Now, we bring those things to Him because that's what Paul says. He says what? Let your requests be made known to God, right? How do we do that, though? He qualifies it earlier in everything by prayer and supplication. What? With thanksgiving. See, there's an attitude that goes with that prayer that's not just about us taking the list of things to Him. It's an attitude of dependence and reliance upon this God who is trustworthy through Christ who is our Savior, who is mediating on our behalf right now before our Father. And, and so prayer is that key to this. And right prayer is rightfully meditating on who Christ is. And that's why he says in verse 7, what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so let me qualify something real quickly. Does Paul say, hey, by praying, focusing on, meditating, presenting those requests in supplication and with thanksgiving, all your, you're going to get all your prayers answered? Is that what he says? No. He says, what is going to be the response of the Lord for you and to you? Is that when your mind is stayed upon Christ, what is the promise? Perfect peace. See, see, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. People won't get it because if they don't know Christ, they won't be able to understand how we get peace in the midst of all the other chaotic things. But why do we get that? I go back to what I said earlier, is that when we trust God in all things, we know that He's working all these things for our good, and we find peace in our relationship with Him above all the circumstances of life. Why? Because we know that God is sovereign over all the circumstances, and what he desires above everything else is for us to do what? Focus on him, to have our minds stayed upon Christ, so that when we experience all of these struggles, that our minds are stayed upon him, and he gives us what? Perfect peace, perfect peace. So, so can I encourage you with something this morning? I'm going to do it by asking a question. How is your mind stayed upon Christ? How, how are you doing keeping your mind stayed upon Christ? See, I, I think that the struggle, and I've said this kind of in a roundabout way before, is I find myself talking about quarantine and COVID-19 and other circumstances of life and economics and on and on and on and on, voting, da, da, da. I mean, how many chaotic things have happened in 2020, right? I'll talk about those more than I talk about my peace that Christ affords me and the faithfulness 
of God and the sovereignty of God and the constant provision that Christ makes for me. And folks, I confess, I want that to be different because I go back to what Spurgeon said is when we focus on Christ, what does that do to people around us? See, that's how they know that we are different because our conversation and our minds are stayed upon Christ and the hope of Christ is shared with everyone. Not the chaos. Everybody knows the chaos, don't they? They don't need to know more about the chaos. What they need to know is the hope that is afforded to us in the person of Christ. So will we be people of prayer? Will we commit to think about Jesus and the provisions of God and the salvation that he offers and the security of a better city? See, when, when I look back to where we've been or where we started several months ago in, in talking about our church government and polity, the, the first place we went to is, is this in, in Ephesians 2, that we are citizens in a different city. Christ is our king. He came to preach a new kingdom, not, not this earthly one. We are members of a different household, the household of faith. We are Christ. We are adopted and co-heirs with Christ. Our citizenship is not of this world. And therefore, we, what we ought to do is keep our mind stayed upon Christ and the hope that we possess in Him. That is what affords us peace. And not just any kind of peace, folks. It's perfect peace. It's perfect peace. Can we think about Christ? Can we be people that have our minds stayed upon Christ in the midst of every circumstance? If we do, if we do, I believe this, we will live differently. We will live with that perfect peace. We won't be tossed to and fro by the circumstances of this world. And then people will be uh, drawn to Christ because of our testimonies. As I was listening to this, Perry, I want you to come and get ready. Are you going to do the reprise of, um, yeah, um, come thou long expected Jesus. As I was literally typing this out this week, that, that the Christmas hymns that are on my, my playlist right now and all the Christmas music, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, popped up. And, and I was like, that is just providential. because And I want to read this lyric to you, but I want you to, to when you sing it in a, just a moment, to let this really resonate in worship and let us be like that chorus of people returning to the strong city. It says this, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. I know that doesn't say peace, but really what is perfect peace? Right? It's that synonym of resting in who we are in Christ. And Christ alone is our strength and our consolation, the one who satisfies as we bring those prayer needs and those supplications and all the difficult things in our lives to Him. He is the hope of all the earth. He is truly the desire of every nation. He's the joy of every longing heart. Can we sing that again this morning as a chorus to, together to this great and mighty Savior? Let our minds be stayed on Him, our perfect peace.